All right, this is the QTR Podcast. How the hell is everybody? Happy to have you with us. It is, wow, it's May already. Can you believe that? And it's still, for some reason, like 40 degrees and fucking windy here. You know, I left the house to go out for a uh, walk last week, and I was like actually yelling at the wind. It was like, you know how people make fun of, you know, old people? Old man yells at cloud. I was actually the old man yelling at the wind. I couldn't believe how windy and cold it was. I kept looking down at my phone, seeing, you know, April 29th. Like, I'm like, what is going on here? And then once I got done being pissed off about the wind, I started texting my friend about it. And he was commiserating with me. He's like, yeah, I can't believe it. So I guess I'm turning into an old fuck is the point. Hello, welcome to the QTR podcast. Happy to have you with us. This podcast, like all my podcasts, is brought to you by my patrons. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast on Patreon. I'm going to shout out my patrons. I'll give you the two rules for today's podcast and we'll get on our way. First and foremost, this podcast is brought to you by my exclusive gold and silver providers over at JM Bullion. JM Bullion is the only place I buy my gold and silver bullion. They have been in business now for a decade. They have done over $3 billion in sales. They are a very reputable name in the world of gold and silver bullion. They turn around my orders very quickly. They always have a wonderful amount of inventory on the site. And of course, QTR podcast listeners have at their disposal the wonderful Laura, L-A-U-R-A at jmbullion.com is her email address, Laura at jmbullion.com. Laura would be more than happy to help you out, especially if it's your first time ever buying gold or silver bullion. Any questions you may have, any questions about shipping, any questions about anything really, she's there to make you feel as comfortable as possible. I love my friends over at JM Bullion, longtime supporters of my podcast. And uh, I know a lot of my listeners love them too. And so there's a lot of love here. Let's just leave it at that. This podcast also brought to you by my friend George Gammon over at Rebel Capitalist Pro, one of my favorite uh, macro resources on the web. George Gammon has teamed up with Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, Brent Johnson, and a whole host of other individuals that have a combined uh, average IQ, rather, that is, uh, at any point in their curve, multiples of what mine is. The Rebel Capitalist forums are one of my favorite resources on the web. But in addition, Rebel Capitalist Pro gets you access to George Gammon. It gets you access to all of the people he works with. They do live Q&As several times a day, or uh, several times a week, rather. But sometimes it does feel like several times a day. I'm constantly getting the emails, constantly checking out the content George is putting out. He puts out a ton of content and does a great job explaining in simple terms how to preserve wealth in a world of -of out-of-control central banks. Love George Gammon. I got to have him on the podcast soon, but check him out over at Rebel Capitalist. Also, my friend Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus and their wonderful product, The Steam Room, which is one of my favorite pieces of software for identifying uh, where moves are happening and basically where money is going in the options market, which many times can precede moves in underlying equities. Lots of times, the options market can telegraph which way stocks are eventually going to go uh, for one reason or another, and the Steam Room is a wonderful piece of software built on the premise of helping you identify where that big money is going before it goes, which can be very lucrative if you don't use it like an asshole. Uh, And of course, this is not a promise to actually make you money, so let me disclaim that. 
But I will say it's a product they've been working on for a decade now. I've known these guys for a very long time. They are some of the OGs of tracking options flow. They were doing it before anybody else was. Uh, they were doing this shit 10 years ago, and unusual options activity wasn't even a thing back then. So these guys are the pioneers, and their software shows it. Uh, the Steam Room is one of a kind. I recommend it. Check it out. Link to that is in my podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at Doomberg. Doomberg is one of my favorite substacks to read. The link to the Doomberg substack is in my podcast description. You can go back and check out how they examine the markets with a skeptical Austrian lens, similar to the way that we do, except they're more refined and make clearer, more well-thought-out points than I do. Um, but I love to read them. And the link to that is in my podcast description as well. Any of these people, if you want free trials, if you want, you know, you need anything for the most part, they will get you hooked up. Just tell them QTR sent you. Reach out to George Gammon. Reach out to Sanglucci if you want to try their platform. They'd be happy to help you out. Tell them you heard about them on the podcast. If you order from JM Bullion, tell them you heard about them on the podcast. Uh, this podcast also has a three-drink minimum and... I am not an investment advisor. This is not investment advice, financial advice, life advice, or any kind of advice. Speak to some kind of professional and or your therapist if you have any questions. But today we're not even talking about finance. One of the rare podcasts where we don't talk about finance. And so I don't even have to worry about the disclaimers because there's no possible way for you to make your portfolio implode from listening to this interview today, although I'm sure there's some fuckhead out there that'll figure out a way to lose money based on this. Oh, you said UFO. I bought the ETF UFO. Oh, oh, oh. By the way, there is a UFO ETF. Fucking don't buy that. This has nothing to do with this. I mean, buy it if you want or don't buy it if you want. Look, the point is it's not financial advice. All right. I have no idea what I'm talking about. This has gotten out of hand. So let's get the interview started. All right. With me today, one of my returning guests who... I don't think anybody gets called a CIA plant more than this guy. So you hold that uh, you hold that honor amongst my supporters and listeners, many of whom like buying into uh, fringe theories, which is why we all get along. But I love having you on also too because uh, I do like a nice debunking as much as I like mm -hmm. uh, going out to the fringe too. Because when you go out to the fringe, it turns out not everything is bullshit and not everything is the truth. So it's nice to have. Mick West back on. For those of you that don't know him, he's a science writer, skeptical investigator, and retired video game programmer who was largely responsible for the Tony Hawk Pro Skater series. Uh, now he is the creator of the websites Contrail Science and Metabunk, which is one of my favorite websites to go on and just read. If, you, if you're one of those people that like to pull on strings, the Metabunk forums are fascinating because they are just detailed. You can watch people in action as they take a an in-depth kind of detailed approach to debunking uh, extraordinary claims that make their way out into the ether. And so uh, Metabunk is an awesome site. Uh, on the site, he investigates and debunks pseudoscientific claims, such as chemtrails, UFOs, and conspiracy theories, and has appeared in various media, in various media as an expert analyst and science communicator. And I know I have in many listeners, I can tell their face is already red. They're already pissed off, you know, <laughs> debunking pseudoscience. You, you call everything pseudoscience. Anyways, it's lovely to have you here, sir. How are you? I'm um, very glad to be here. Thank you very much. And yeah, everybody does. Uh, everyone does like a good debunking, but not everyone likes a good debunker. 
Yeah, not everybody likes a good debunking. Actually, no? <laughs> this is true. You can't please all of the people all of the time, or even all of the people some of the time. You know, I was I was reading something the other day talking about the psychology of believing in conspiracy theories because, you know, over the last couple of years, there have been things in the mainstream discourse, like, for instance, the Hunter Biden laptop mm -hmm. story, right, that were written off as conspiracy theory, but in fact, they turned out to be true. Or the lab leak, right? The fact that COVID came from a lab. You couldn't talk about it. You were shut down on social media about it. And lo and behold, you know, these things turn out to be true. Having said that, you know, believing in every conspiracy theory, I think, is somewhat of a psychological phenomenon, right? It's people that, <clears throat> to some degree, in some instances, you know, can't accept or won't accept that. Uh, such things actually do happen in the course of, you know, normal everyday life, right? Yeah, uh, I, it's was. I think people like to have explanations for things, and but and but also some people view the world in a certain way, and they they like uh, the world to work in the way they expect it to work, right? So you know, if you if you feel like the world is being run by uh, some kind of satanic elite then you're very likely to believe any claim of evidence that seems to support that because it's really just about things that support your your worldview. And it's kind of a failing I think a lot of people have on all sides of all spectrums is that we, we all have some kind of bias. You know, I'm sure I have biases and I'm sure you have biases as well and uh, perhaps we don't always like to admit them. But uh, I think we have to be very careful when we go around considering ourselves to be objective because really nobody can really be genuinely objective. That's a great point. Yeah. And you do see those people that just, uh, you know, they order a bagel at the coffee shop in the morning and they get cream cheese instead of butter. And all of a sudden they're like, Klaus Schwab has had his, has had his boot on my neck for too long. You know, this is the world economic forums fault. You know, it's like, fuck, the kid makes $7 an hour to butter your bagel. He just got it wrong, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, people, uh, people are, uh, people vary in the uh, degree of enthusiasm about conspiracy theories. I think a lot of people just kind of, even if they believe that, you know, the world has been run by some kind of intellectual, you know, economic elite, a lot of people just don't really care about it. Uh, they, they kind of just accept the fact that, uh, that there's, there's rich people running the world. And, you know, well, what can you do? And they shrug their shoulders and get on with life, which in some ways is kind of a healthy attitude. It, if you think about what you can actually do about, um, you know, <laughs> what can you do about Elon Musk? Uh, uh, the average person can't really do very much. That said, you know, I wouldn't, you know, encourage people to, you know, not worry about these things. These are obviously important issues, but yeah, lots of people just get on through life just fine without worrying about them. Well, it's like one of those, <clears throat> it's one of those things where you have to find a balance, right? Because mm. th there's certain things, and this is something I always brought up around the time of presidential elections, because the idea of who's going to be the next elected leader of the United States elicits a lot of real visceral reactions from people. You always get the people that's, I'm going to move to Canada, or, you know, <laughs> I don't know what this country's become, or uh, this and that and the other. You know, people on both sides of the aisle. When, you know, what I've found personally 
and you know maybe this is because i read a lot of thick not han but like what i found personally is if i'm gonna go for a walk around the block you know nothing material is gonna change between yesterday and today with who's president who's district attorney who's governor of philadelphia you know whether klaus schwab is pulling the strings whether elon musk is buying twitter whether they're dancing naked in front of a giant owl statue that's on fire out in the middle of the woods or whatever the fucking Bilderberg group does. You know, <clears throat> there's there's only so much that you have control over that you can change. Yeah. And I think there is I think it is kind of healthy in some degree to just accept it, right? Cuz cuz you only have so many days here. <laughs> sure. So certainly like day to day, like there's there's nothing you can do. Uh but yeah, I think sure nothing happens from one day to the next and you know s- someone gets elected and nothing actually changes on that day right it, but it happens over a lot a longer period of time it's just kind of a slow a slow drift you know the, the repercussions of of trump getting elected is going to be uh reverberating for probably decades to come really yeah it was funny i was watching a video last night of some of the 2016 coverage after he won the election just going back and watching some of the news anchors meltdown but one of them said at one point, you know, this is a an election that will have profound consequences for decades to come in U.S. politics. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. you know, at the time when somebody says that, you just think, all right, like, that's just something a newscaster says, you know. And now here we are, you know, five or six years later, and you start thinking to yourself, like, wow, that it is kind of a profound, uh, impactful thing that we'll have yeah. – uh, you know, that will have an impact for decades to come. And so uh, it's fascinating to kind of think about how those things play out over time. Yeah, and it, it's one of those things that kind of makes you feel a little powerless as well because you know that these things are kind of coming down the pipe and they're such slow, ponderous, and unstoppable things uh, that you, you, you really can't do anything about it personally. Uh, but you know, obviously that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pay attention to what's actually going on in the world, but you know, have to do it with, uh, a healthy regard to your own you know, mental health. A lot, some people yeah. I think get really into not just politics, but their own either conspiracy theory or their, their kind of fringe belief. And it takes over their entire lives. And all they think about is this this one thing. Like if they, perhaps they got obsessed with QAnon, which for, for them seems really important, or perhaps they're they're really into UFOs, or they're they're really into even like you know. There's, I'm sure there's some people who are still into into chemtrails as being like the most important topic. And you know, there's one guy in in in, in Oregon, uh, in Northern California, this guy called Dane Wigington who was like this big chemtrail guy and he's been doing it for like 20 years and it's, you know, it's, 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 his, it's his entire life and he's devoted his life savings to publicizing the efforts. And it, it's a, a weird skewed view of the world when everything you see about the world is viewed through a particular lens. Right. Uh, and it, it's, yeah, di- think- it's difficult for people when it becomes a part of their identity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If if you you know you say like I am a nine eleven truther or whatever whatever it is you are, then it it just it just takes over. Uh, people end up you know their relationships suffer because of it, and their uh, their lives suffer. Uh, you know, now it obviously it's a lot more common for people to have problems with QAnon. Uh, people who 
are strong QAnon believers become alienated from their families because the the beliefs are so ridiculous and, and outrageous that they they just can't communicate with their family. From their perspective, they feel like they've, they've discovered this amazing truth about the world. They feel they've discovered the reality of you know these whatever it is these pedophile elite sex rings running the world through a variety of uh, nefarious things and Donald Trump fighting from the t- trenches to to change the world and perhaps JFK coming back from the dead. Uh, but from their perspective, it all makes sense. But from the outs- outside perspective, you know, most most people getting on with their lives, it's it's inconceivable, and it's this huge huge problem of communication that we, that we have now and it's mucked up by people like jeffrey epstein who happened to be an influential <laughs> rich elite yeah. you know trafficking yeah. in I mean, children you know it gets mucked happen. up when things like that happen right mm-hmm. but i think yeah jeff and jimmy savile and uh right yeah, in, in britain like cyril smith like yeah obviously that there are people who are in the elite who are horrible people and some of them are you know child molesters uh but yes it's it's yeah people extrapolate from uh from that to yeah everybody being a certain way yeah and it's it's interesting you know when you think about like you said before everybody kind of looks at the world through their own lens and when you look at it through the lens of Whatever you identify yourself as, you know, if you're a UFO truther or you're a 9-11 truther or you make that part of your identity and then you look at the world through that lens, you don't really realize how askew everything else becomes in order to kind of, uh, you know, justify and enable you to kind of march down the path that you're on. And one of the points I wanted to make a couple minutes ago is that you know we live in a vast 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 world right on the earth you have seven billion people okay and you know every one of those people engages in some type of interaction multiple times per day whether they're a fetus gestating somewhere or they're a 110 year old buddhist monk sitting out in the mountains of nepal there are you know all the way down to, you know, a guy in his mid-50s in Oklahoma going to an Arby's drive through Everybody engages in, you know, hundreds if not thousands or tens of thousands act- uh, of actions on a daily basis, all of which, you know, have reverberating consequences and aftershocks, you know, along the space-time continuum, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... You know, when people think, oh, it can't be possible, or when they think correlation has to mean causation, like we're talking about now with the pedophiles, right? You know, Epstein exists because it's a whole system of elites that are pedophiles versus there's a system of elites and some of them happen to be pedophiles, right? People don't realize that correlation doesn't always mean causation because people can't grasp the sheer amount of raw, you know, interactions that occur day to day that you're picking and choosing from, right? Yeah, yeah, and and it's um, when you're looking for something, you find that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the, the the well-known effect, the Bader-Meinhof effect, uh, which is named after a you know, German terrorist group, Bader-Meinhof. And it's nothing to do with them, really. It's just that the guy who who kind of coined the effect, he 
he he he read about Bader Meinhof one day, and then he it came up again in conversation later, and then he saw it again the next week. And if you're looking for something, your mind is primed to to see that thing. It you start to see patterns. Uh, I saw you like uh, I think you you did this article today on um, food processing plants. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that next. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing because like you see all these food processing plants burning down and it seemed like they were, a lot of them were like chicken farms and uh but do we have like the data from before to compare it with right because if you start looking for for a pattern starting you know six months ago and you have nothing to compare it against it kind of looks like there's a lot of things going on like there's there's lots of similar examples that people make into conspiracy theories and you know, maybe there's something to them maybe there isn't but it's hard to say like one is the athletes dropping dead yeah, so people think that uh, there's more people dropping dead on football fields now because you know, college athletes, because they're being vaccinated. Uh, this is the theory. But again, they're just like going through current data and they don't really have good baselines to compare it to. And then there's like the, the Clinton death list. If you start <laughs> right. you know, listing all the people that have met the Clinton who have died, you get this long list of people and you can make that seem suspicious and say that you know the clintons have assassinated all these people uh but this is this is a result of someone gathering data that fits a hypothesis right and so if you if you just if you if you took any person who was in a similar situation to the clintons i don't know say um i don't know donald trump uh and you could probably make a very, very similar list. And would it be statistically different from the Clinton's list? You know, I suspect it would not, but since there's nobody actually doing that, we don't have the data to compare with. So people are curating a set of data that agrees with a hypothesis and they're not really comparing it against the null hypothesis, which is it didn't happen. Right. And in the case of the food processing plants burning down, you know, there's something like 38,000 of them globally and certainly if you go and you check like Snopes, I don't know if you like Snopes or if you consider them reputable or not. But, They're fairly know, reputable. Yeah, they, the they say that in uh, 2018, 2019, uh, you know, that, that the trend in terms of fires at these types of plants were relatively similar, uh, you know, and that, and that these yeah. types of fires are relatively commonplace. And I think, I think that the issue in this instance, and certainly, you know, the point of my piece was to kind of put both sides out there and just put it up for discussion. I wasn't really, I wasn't trying to draw too much of a conclusion, although I, you know, obviously find it interesting. But I think everybody finds it interesting because there's this renewed focus on commodity prices now and food shortages, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, due to all the inflationary pressure, right? So I think that that makes a headline like that far more salacial than it would have been in 2019 right yeah yeah but yeah again i think it's like people uh seeking examples and like you said there's there's probably tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of uh things that would qualify like some of some on your list i don't remember it exactly but there was like russian chicken farms and uh, things like that which is probably just like a big barn with a bunch of a uh, bunch of chickens and cages inside it, and there's there's probably tens of thousands of those, and occasionally one of them catches fire and burns. Uh, so it's it's 
yeah, it's tempting, yeah. I think, or, or to there's some, draw influences from it. Or there's some machinery or some chemical agent used in the process of preparing these chickens, you know, that's flammable and that winds up being yeah, the possibly. cause. Yeah, possibly. You know, but a couple of them were interesting over the last 12 months because they involve planes crashing into the uh, plants, which, you know, there's two ways yeah, to but... look at that. <laughs> there's the way to look at it of people are flying planes into food processing plants on purpose or... There are planes that crashed that happened to crash into mm-hmm. food processing plants, right? It's it's one of those things that doesn't really make any sense as a conspiracy theory. Like, we're, they're trying to disrupt the global food supply by flying planes into <laughs> random tiny like uh, chicken farms, it's, it, which does practically nothing except you know you've w- wasted a plane. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a, a very lightweight version of the 9-11 conspiracy theory. Yeah. Like having to you know, do these you know, ridiculously complicated things to get uh, an effect. There has, know, to, be, yeah, there has probably, to be a better, like, a more like asset light business model to disrupt food plants than flying yeah, I mean, into them. <laughs> I mean, you've got to get like a suicide pilot to fly the plane into into this this chicken farm i mean really you know it's not cost benefit analysis there is uh, is a bit off i think uh anyways yeah so all right well i'm glad we covered that and i wanted to ask you up front if you saw the uh the conspiracy about the edmonton jackets in ukraine and did you see the piece that i wrote debunking that i channeled my inner uh, midwest for that one <laughs> I, d- I did not see it no sorry so don lemon uh, puts uh-huh. on a fucking helmet and a flak jacket and winds up going to Ukraine at some point over the last month or two and is uh, is sitting in an area where some plant in Ukraine was on fire. I think it was an oil depot. And he was reporting live from there, which immediately, you know, already made everybody skeptical. You know, why would Don Lemon leave New York to go to Ukraine and you know, report live on the scene. I know a lot of people, myself included, but I'm not going to speak for you. I don't really consider Don Lemon to be much of a journalist. But, you know, so once people got past that fact, they were looking at the fact that in the background, there were some firefighters that had responded Mm -hmm. to the scene, but the back, you know, which was purportedly in uh, Ukraine or on the Ukrainian-Russian border that had the word Edmonton, written on the back of their jacket in, Mm. you know, plain English, Um, you know. And so there was this big sprawling controversy about, you know, is Don Lemon standing in front of a green screen or is this really a fire in Alberta at one of their plants? And, you know, I was reading um, all these comments saying, oh, well, he's not in Ukraine, he's in Canada and this, that and the other. And so I started looking into it one day. As as you do when you're fucking living alone and bored, and uh, <laughs> on like a you know a Tuesday, chomping on an edible or something, like let's figure this one out. Um, and I started to look into it, and it turns out that in 2018 or like 2017, firefighters in Edmonton, Canada, had donated a bunch of their old gear. To, yeah. to firefighters in Ukraine, who I guess were just getting up and running or didn't have the resources to equip themselves. And so they sent, uh, you know, Ukraine all of this shit, oxygen masks and fucking hard hats and jackets among those things and, you know, all their old stuff, whatever. 
And so, and there's an article about it where <laughs> the firefighters are, you know, standing in Ukraine, shaking hands with the Ukrainian firefighters, you know, and, that's, and I wrote this article about it saying, hey, I bet you those jackets say Edmonton on the back of them, <laughs> you know? And so it's just, uh, felt like I was channeling my inner Mick West on that one. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was a kind of a fun, uh, a funny investigation, I think, uh, because yeah, it's people do get suspicious about these these things. I don't, I, mean, I don't know why. Oh, you have to uh, know immediately. Why. Well, yeah, I kind of do, but like, what do they think is actually going on? Like, they think that all of the, the news is staged, and that you know, everything you see on the TV is staged, which is quite an incredible uh, assertion. That you know, with there, everyone's pretending to be in the Ukraine or whatever. Yeah, sometimes you get like things where where people are uh, talking to each other and they're they're in the same parking lot, but it's just kind of I don't know, stage for convenience rather than stage to deceive. Uh, but yeah, you know, the idea that someone would say I'm in Ukraine when they're actually not, well, I, I don't think that really. It's is, not inconceivable yeah, though, right? I mean, some things have been staged, some things have been reported on in the mainstream media that turned out to be completely false, right? Well, like what? Well, I don't know. Look at the Brian Williams story. You know that he got you know his plane, the plane next to him got right, shot down. Right, but that's, that's not staged. Well, that's just that's, a that lie. That was him that's telling a, like the a story that wasn't true. That's a lie, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah but he wasn't and, pretending to be there. It's it's. You I mean he kind of brushed it away as a misremembering of what happened? But uh, you know, it's not it's not the same thing as as actually saying I'm reporting live. There's bombs coming in. Well, what about you know, what about the lab leak? Um, theory you know and and for a year and i don't know i never really saw it well, it's, you, it's you, still it's still a theory <laughs> it's uh it's not something that's actually been proved to you know no one knows exactly what's happened people you, are certainly considering it's uh, a, a much more serious possibility than it was before uh but it, i'm not sure i mean i think that it is it's been kind of widely accepted now as the likely leading candidate of what happened right I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, who's come out and said that? Let's check real quick while <laughs> I mean, we're talking uh, about it. Go ahead. No, it's, I, I haven't really been following it, but I, I think I would have heard if uh, you know it's become like some kind of generally accepted thing. I, I mean, I, from my perspective, it seems like uh, they don't know uh, where it came from, but this is a possibility. It is it's, a... I would say, I mean, look, you think about these things through the lens of like Occam's razor, right? The the origin of the virus was supposedly from that wet market that happened to be within, you know, a mile or two from the lab, from the uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology. I mean, isn't it more yeah. likely than not than the lab would have something to do with it? Well, yeah. Then there's also the the point that the lab is there because of the the huge population of, of bats and the reservoirs of uh, of viruses in the wild in that location. Uh, so it's kind of if it was to arise in the wild, it would be likely to arise in a place like that. See, I think you know we we don't actually know for sure. You're, you're talking about what what it, what seems likely to you, and it's certainly possible. And certainly, it's not something I would rule out 
But uh, and then, then there's various versions of the theory. Is it, is it an accidental release? Is right. it a deliberate release? Was it some kind of test that went wrong? Or, or yeah, is it something? Is it a release of something they were studying, or is it a release of something that uh, had gain of function? Uh, so when we're saying like you know, the lab leak theory has been proved, you know, I, I don't think we're really there in that we can point to exactly what happened. We can point to things with varying degrees of, of likelihood well, and possibility and plausibility. We know that they were performing gain-of-function research at that lab, right? Um, I think so. That's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going Yes, and we know <laughs> that they were looking at bat coronaviruses specifically at that lab. Um, the Yeah, well... Yeah. I'll, I'll take your word for that. Yeah. <laughs> and we know like people like the former CDC director, you know, has come out and said he thinks it's more likely that it came from the lab. And, you know, mm -hmm. look, common sense would just and I'm not you're right that there are different levels to this. Right. There's people that say it was, you know, created as a bioweapon and released on purpose. Yeah. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about whether or not its origins and the, and another nice little gaslighting thing that people were doing for a year or so was anytime the ga uh, the lab leak would be brought up they would say um it would you know the lab leak is a uh conspiracy theory but it came from uh you know a bat and they would say that as if it couldn't have come from a bat inside the lab but in a way to suggest that because it came from a bat, it didn't come from the yeah. lab, right? So there's all these little nuances. It's of natural origin, but that doesn't mean that it didn't come out of the lab and vice versa, sure. right? Sure, that's like uh, what end of the spectrum of, of lab leak uh, theories is, you know, essentially <laughs> it's of natural origin, but it were, it came through the, uh, the lab. So it's, it might have been something that could have got into the human uh, chain eventually anyway the 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 lab work might have uh i don't know prompted that a little a little more well i want to ask but, you i wanted to ask you when mm -hmm. when the lab leak hypothesis was being tossed around uh you know in the first year or so uh before it started to gain prominence or you know gain acceptance <clears throat> and um also when the hunter biden laptop story first came out uh did you opine on either of those anywhere publicly <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I thought that the the lab leak theory, uh, you know, I'd, I'd read a bit about it, and I, I, I thought that from what I read that the genetic analysis at the time had demonstrated that it was of natural origins. But of course, that doesn't rule out the lab leak theory. But it, it kind of, uh, I, I thought that at the time it, that people had ruled out, um, you know, some kind of genetic engineering on that. And so I, I. I you know, I kind of uh, repeated that, and yeah, and to some degree, I think that's still still true. I don't think there's good evidence of genetic engineering of of the virus. Um, with Hunter Biden, yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Like you know, you, you said earlier that the uh, the people were dismissing the Hunter Biden laptop story, and now it turns out to be true. But I think yeah, it's one of those stories where it's quite possible to mix truth and lies together. And I think that's what people consider a, might have been done here. Like the, there obviously there's lots of real photos and emails and things in this this uh, this laptop dump. Uh, but is it all accurate? 
is is there actually any involvement with uh, with with the Russians? You know, I, I don't think that's something you can rule out just because there's there's a degree of uh, reality in in what's the you know we know that uh, Hunter Biden essentially leveraged the family name for profit by getting jobs. You know, this is something that is fairly common, unfortunately, in the world with with relatives of politicians. You know, obviously, uh, the uh, the Trumps do exactly the same thing. Um, but yeah, I, I think just again, it's like it's not like something is true or false. You know, the Hunter Biden story, laptop story. You know, yeah, there was stuff from Hunter well, it, Biden's it was laptop confirmed, out in the wild. Right, it was confirmed that it was his laptop, and you know, Politico confirmed that the emails on the laptop uh, were legitimate. Right. Yeah. But and, yeah. It's, and the photos that everything are just, on the laptop are, is, is legit and the photos are just well what the hell else was there other than the emails and the photographs yeah but was every single email i'm not interested legitimate. in whether or not he stole a microsoft word license you know <laughs> yeah. and there's this this photos floating around now of like kind of like uh child pornography type stuff that w- was on there uh like allegedly oh is you know, that right deep. i haven't even i haven't yeah. heard that uh, and there's, I think there's a variety of different versions of what people describe as being the laptop. Like someone was reaching out to me because I, you know, I've been on Joe Rogan and they said like, yeah, if you can get us onto Joe Rogan, we'll give you a copy of, of the laptop because we have, we have the, the laptop, yeah, an, an image file of it. But yeah, I don't know. How, how do you, it's, it's kind of a difficult thing to get into because there's a lot of suspicion of dirty dealings in this you know the whole story was a little bit strange from the start with the you know, the laptop being left off in this 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 pawn shop but uh i don't think we want to we, yeah i think i don't think we can we can flip from like it's an entirely false story to it's an entirely true story because you know what are you then accepting as being true yeah, well, it certainly is peculiar, right, for it to turn up. And it was a repair shop, right? Or was it? You said it was a pawn shop, but I think it was a computer repair shop. Oh yeah, it? yeah, yeah. I think I think it was a pawn shop actually, but they did repairs. I, I'm not, yeah, but it's one of those things. They, yeah, they put it on for sale afterwards. They also sell them. But anyway, it's it was a weird shop, and I think the guy like he was he was partially sighted or something, and he, so he couldn't give a good identification of who brought it in. It was all a little strange, uh, but the New York Times. The New York Times says emails were obtained by the New York Times from a cache of files that appears to have come from a laptop abandoned by Mr. Biden in a Delaware mm-hmm. repair shop, and they they live in Delaware, right? Or Joe lives in Delaware, the uh, or lived in Delaware. The email and others in the cache were authenticated by people familiar with them and with the investigation. That's the New York Times. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, like I say, I think uh, there's obviously some real stuff of his that has been leaked. Uh, you think it, it, do you think it's his laptop? I, quite possibly. I mean, maybe maybe he, I don't know. I don't know what actually happened. You know, there's, there's this, the idea of chain of custody here. Uh, it didn't come from an FBI search of his house. It was bizarrely dropped off at a at a uh, computer repair shop, so the chain of custody there is is a bit a bit dubious. Well, when, yeah, you, we don't. when you look at a photo of Hunter Biden 
like on a couch, you know, with a crack mm-hmm. pipe in his mouth. I mean, that's yeah. it's an authentic photo, right? People aren't. Yeah, like, no, I, I, I think you know people aren't disputing uh, that there's you know photos like that out there that are, are genuine. All right. Well, it sounded like you may be disputing that some of the contents may not be his. So, in other words, you're leaving the door open for this, you know, argument that, hey, we don't really know how it got there. And while the New York Times has finally confirmed that the emails are authentic, there may be some things on there that also may have been planted. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but they've been able to confirm the validity of some emails. Does that mean that the emails that they've been unable to confirm are also genuine then i'm sure if it's a, a laptop there would be tens of thousands of emails yeah on there uh is it possible that someone stole his laptop and then added a few incriminating emails and then and then released it do you think it was appropriate the way that the story was handled from the from the get-go in terms um, of you know in terms of basically banning people from social media for talking about it. They suspended the I, New York Post from Twitter. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that, was, that was a Twitter decision. And I think the thought then was that it seemed very likely that this was some kind of propaganda operation aimed at changing the course of the election. And because they couldn't at the time confirm the, the reality of everything that was there, then yeah it's 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 a difficult uh, thing yeah I, I don't think i'm quite the free speech absolutist that elon musk is i think you know if you've got something that's a lot of personal information that has been stolen and has a very dubious chain of custody uh, then promoting certain things like that on the eve of an election essentially is you know it's a bit dubious. How it's, mis- get, it's misinformation. How do, get, how do you get fifty former Intel officials to go on the record and say that it's Russian disinformation quickly, but you can't confirm the validity of the contents as quickly? Well, you only need like um, one piece of information that's fake to demonstrate that it's disinformation. But you can't go through every single email uh, of complicated information that's with historical references uh, with people that are somewhat inaccessible uh, and verify every single thing on it. So I think you know, if, if you have indications that there is some kind of tampering, then it's, it's good to be suspicious. Yeah. But you can't immediately say, oh, this is 100% genuine. You know, there's no way you can actually verify every single thing on that uh, huge cache of data. Would you say that it is more likely than not than it is authentic? Yeah, but again, I'd say uh, it's unknown because there's obviously things that are authentic. I think in in your personal opinion, do you think that there is a greater chance of of the laptop and its contents being 100% authentic than 0% authentic. I no, I don't. I think there's you know it's it's there's so much suspicion floating around it, so much so many suspicious events floating around it that I think we should not rule out the significant possibility that there is stuff inserted 
into that data that is not true. <laughs> but I also wouldn't rule out the, the the possibility that it's it's you know all legit. But I don't think we can act upon the assumption that it is legitimate. Okay, and then with the lab leak, do you, would would you say that it is more likely than not that the virus came from the lab in one way or the other, say in the most innocuous way possible, it was an accident? Do you think it's more likely than not that it had something to do with the lab because it was right there? I, I would hesitate to make a call on that because I, I haven't really <laughs> been following the latest developments. So, you know, I'd, but I'd, I wouldn't mind giving it a 50-50 possibility. I'll give it a 51-49 just for my podcast. <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, based on what you've told me, yeah, but, you know, I'd have to do more research. Okay. Well, maybe we can maybe we can do those two things on another podcast. Maybe you can, like, go and do research on those and then we can discuss those uh, at length. Because I wanted to maybe. talk about today um, also – was the uh, UFO incidents with David Fravor, and right. uh, you know, which we kind of alluded to the last time we, we talked. And by the way, I got such a great response to the Bob Lazar after the initial hate mail. I should qualify. <laughs> I got I got a good response to that. And uh, has anything new come up in the world of Bob Lazar before we move forward? Because I haven't noticed anything. Bob Lazar? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think I don't think he's actually been mentioned um in recent times i think what's there was something to do like there was some new photos of the s2 area came out like uh, uh, there was something on google maps someone had tagged like uh, the s2 area of of the the, the lake s2 but or nothing s4 significant it was s4 yeah s4 i think yeah, yeah. there was supposedly yeah underground bunkers with uh, flying saucers in them yeah someone just found some entrances to underground bunkers which obviously they have in uh, in the military uh, uh, test range. But alas, uh, alas yeah. no photos of the UFOs again. No, no, nothing, <laughs> nothing interesting. No. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. I, I keep a pretty close watch on that, just because I'm I'm obsessed, and I think you know, with every new piece of potential with every word that he says, I think there could be a, a, a potential to getting closer to the truth of the situation. Which, as we concluded on the last podcast, which is number two forty, if anybody wants to listen to it, you know, my my conclusion is I actually think that he he wound up working there, but I think he was just you know doing something very yeah. very very mundane. I don't think he tested flying saucers there. Yeah, no, exactly. I think I think it's fairly well established that he was there. His name was in a uh, like a phone book, but he was like working for uh, for a contractor, and you know, just doing technical stuff i don't know electrical work or something like nothing nothing really uh <laughs> impressive and i think yeah i think he just made up this whole story yeah so let's uh, let's talk about david fravor for people david that fravor, yeah. for, for people that don't know who david fravor is uh he was featured on uh the joe rogan experience commander david fravor of course with jeremy corbell and uh, he was also on Lex Friedman's podcast a while back, which is one that I've been yeah. listening to uh, quite quite a few times in preparation for today's podcast with you. And, uh, you know, Fravor was like an 18-year uh, Navy pilot, very distinguished, um, and has kind of wound up as, you know, people refer to him as the primary witness in one of the most credible mm -hmm. UFO sightings in history. Um, you know, he was took off on a routine flight outside the coast of California. 
um, you know, and bore witness to the videos that many of us have seen that have been released over the last few years. One is called uh, Gimbal, one is called Go Fast, and the other one I think is called FLIR, right? F-L-I-R. Um, yeah. He he did he didn't really have anything to do with Gimbal and GoFast. Okay. And he was retired by that by that point. Um, the Fleer video, uh, he didn't take the video, and he wasn't there when it was being recorded. He was back on the ship. Uh, but yeah, that that Fleer one video is part of the whole Nimitz um, yeah, event. Yeah, essentially, he claims to uh you know while the while he was training with the uh, Nimitz carrier strike group that this unidentified aerial phenomenon as they're calling mm-hmm. them now um you know that he bore witness to this thing kind of zipping through the air uh you know and appearing and rapidly disappearing and you know changing its location uh quickly than you know our known aircraft can um which has kind of uh, made him into this, I don't know, you know, I, I think because of his, his naval pedigree, he, he really yeah. is, he comes off as a very credible uh, witness. I mean, he witnessed, yeah, he definitely witnessed uh... something. The question is what the <laughs> sure, hell is yeah. going on, right? And so it's, it's a problem. It's, uh, I mean, like, as I say, it's a problem. It's, he's a credible witness. And so because he had an encounter with, with a UFO, uh, it makes people think that you know what he saw must be uh, a, a legitimate UFO, like a legitimate unidentified flying object that really did the things that he he said. But I I think there's a, a significant possibility that he misperceived what he actually saw. I don't think he's lying. Yeah, uh, I, I don't I don't is, think is, I don't think he is either. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I because I want to let you speak. But I want to just read real quick a little background on the incident for people that don't sure. know what we're talking about yet. Uh, and this is from CBS News. In November 2004, David Fravor and his colleague were training with the Nimitz Carrier Strike Group about 100 miles southwest of San Diego. Unbeknownst to them, advanced radar on a ship that was part of their training group, the USS Princeton, had been detecting what operators called, quote, multiple anomalous aerial vehicles, quote, over the horizon, descending 80,000 feet in less than a second. During their training exercise, Fravor and Dietrich, his colleague, each with a weapon systems officer in the backseat of their uh, FA-18F, say they were diverted to investigate the anomalous object. They say at first they found an area of roiling white water the size of a Boeing 737, and then they saw something strange above the water. Quote, we saw this little white tic-tac-looking object, and it's just kind of moving above the white water area, Fravor recounted. No predictable movement, no predictable trajectory. As Dietrich circled above, Fravor went down for a closer look. He said the object was about the size of his FA-18F with no markings, no wings, and no exhaust plumes. As soon as Fravor tried to cut off the UAP, which is Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, it accelerated so quickly that it seemed to disappear. Seconds later, the USS Princeton reacquired the UAP on its radar, and it was 60 miles away. So that's that's a gist of how this whole mm-hmm. thing started. Um now, sorry, Mick. Go ahead. No, it's uh, that's a good overview. But you know what happened before that uh, was that you know, they were seeing these things on the radar, 
Now, you, you said in that little summary uh, that they saw them dropping down from 80,000 feet uh, to, to sea level. But this, this isn't something that uh, the ship really was aware of. You know, the, the guy who, who was in charge of the radar room that day is called Kevin Day. And, and he's been telling this story quite a long time. Uh, he actually released a book in 2008, I think, called uh, A Sailor's Anthology, which included a, a fictionalized version of this. And it kind of included these kind of little key points uh, that, that have become almost like a mythology, but have been accepted as fact. Uh, and, you know, one of the things is that uh, they, they saw things drop down from a high altitude to a low altitude in 0.78 seconds, which is something that if it actually happened would be perhaps the most amazing feat uh, ever observed by science in, in human history. It, it's something that appeared to physically move uh, several miles in less than a second. Uh, the G-force that they calculate for that to happen would be something of the order of 6,000 G's, <laughs> which is, you know, obviously insane in terms of, of, you know, a human plane. Humans can survive about 10 G's for a few seconds. 20 G's would, would kill you. Uh, 6,000 would turn you into, into mush. You just go splat against the, the, the back of the plane. In fact, your entire plane would be destroyed because uh, the, the, the forces uh on the plane isn't something that it could actually support six thousand it's it's it'd be like riding a lightning bolt and yeah it would actually look like a lightning bolt because the thing moving through the atmosphere would have to move the air aside so rapidly it would uh, turn the air into plasma essentially so it we would it would be a huge fireball moving from high to low and yet uh, there was there was no sonic boom and there was no no flash there was no no smoke trail no condensation trail no no anything it just went bip bip and and no one really saw it do these things you know, other than Fravor saying it flew away very fast uh, these these teleports from high to low were things that were only observed on the radar and for several days like before this event they were seeing these weird targets on the radar. They weren't moving very fast. They were actually moving the exact opposite. They were moving very slow. They were moving at about 100 knots uh, from north to south, which was about the speed of the wind at that altitude, 28,000 feet uh, off, off the coast. That's the prevailing winds are north to south in that area. And people thought that, you know, what, it's maybe some kind of balloon or maybe it's some kind of radar glitch or maybe it's some kind of uh, spoof test or something, or maybe there's something wrong with the radar. And it wasn't until that they they finally decided to send David Fravor out there that they decided that these were actually real things. Up to that point, they thought that yeah, it might have been just radar glitches, you know, some some kind of spoofing or something like that. But then Fravor goes out there and sees something, and they're like, oh, they were real all along. But what we don't know is if the things that were seen on the radar were the same things that Fravor and Dietrich saw. Yeah, are the videos... So the videos that were released, of course, were released by Tom DeLonge and his To The Stars mm -hmm. Academy. If you want to understand what level he's on, you can watch him, what appears to be 
extremely coked up on the Joe Rogan experience during that <laughs> appearance. I'm not quite sure that he has not done enough cocaine to, you know, actually get from one place to 60 miles away in less than a second. But that's another podcast for another day. You know, his academy released these yeah. videos. And what I wanted to ask you is, is what's shown in the videos consistent with what was seen on the radar? Have, has there been a way to no. triangulate? Has there been a way it's, to triangulate it, Fravor's, Fravor's visual claims with the radar with the videos? No, and there's, there's really all these these different things. There's these radar things of things like bopping around. Then there's Fravor's account of something mirroring his plane's movement, which is a you know, another thing entirely. Uh, and then there's this video, and the video doesn't really show anything of 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 amazement. It shows something that's blurry and looks like it's out of focus way off in the distance. It's not actually moving in in an unusual way. It's just flying away from the camera and to the left. The the camera is trying to lock onto it, but the guy who's filming it, Chad Underwood, keeps changing the mode on the camera. And each, each time it changes the mode, it loses the video feed and the tracking is based on the video. So he changes the mode, the screen goes blank, and then he has to reacquire the object. And you see every time this happens in the video, the object drifts off to the left a little bit, which is because it's lost the lock on the, on the object. And so it's not tracking it. And then it reacquires the lock. And then at the end of the video, he does this big change of, uh, of the focal length. It loses the lock and it ends up outside of the, the search area uh, on screen and it just drifts off. It's not doing any amazing movements. And yet, there's a lot of people out there uh, who claim that it is. And they you know, they basically use these kind of hand-waving arguments and say, oh, well, it would never have lost lock. So, therefore, it must have been some kind of extremely high-G maneuver on the part of this craft. You know, it's, it's arguments that don't make any sense. And if you, if you look through the video, like I've got a whole video on it called uh, No Sudden Moves. You can go to my YouTube channel, Mick West on YouTube, uh, and look up the No Sudden Moves video. And I do an analysis, basically frame by frame, going through this this video. And I show that there's nothing going on there. It's just something off in the distance that's, that's flying away in exactly the same way that planes fly. Um, so that doesn't really match what Fravor saw. And it doesn't really match the radar accounts and what Fravor saw doesn't match the radar accounts because the radar accounts were of things moving very very slowly and then moving vertically down to the surface of the ocean they weren't things that were circling around uh, they weren't things that were like you know flying off uh, horizontally you know, it's a completely different set of things and what Fravor saw isn't exactly the same thing that Alex Dietrich saw, the other pilot who was there in the other plane. She was flying top cover, so she was uh, high up, looking down. And she, what she describes kind of sounds like what Fravor describes. But Fravor describes the events from from when they got to what they call merge merge plot, which is this thing where the the plotting of the 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 objects on the radar. You know, you've got this little radar screen, and you've got these little pips that represents the plane and another one that represents the, the UFO. And when they get close enough together, they can't distinguish one from the other. They, they say that's a, a merge plot. So they've announced merge plot. You're like, you're there, look around. It should be right underneath you. So Fravor says from merge plot, 
to when the object flew away was five minutes. Alex Dietrich says that from Mert's plot to when the object flew away was between eight and ten seconds, which is a radically, radically different right. perception of what actually happened. And yet people say that, you know, we have multiple witnesses who saw the same thing, and yet they're telling almost completely opposite stories. Five minutes versus ten seconds. You know, Alex Dietrich, she says, like, yeah, we arrived there, we saw this thing, like, you know, it was zoomed down, we zoomed around, zoom, 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 boom, and then zoom, it shot away. So it's like, you know, ten seconds, eight to ten seconds or something. Frey was like, well, we arrived there, we looked around for a while, we looked down, I saw this thing, and, you know, I watched it for a while, it moved forward, back, left, and right, then then I decided to fly down a bit, I flew down towards it, and it seemed flew up and then I flew around it and you know it seems to be mirroring my movements uh, and then you know, I decided that I would cut across the circle towards it and so I flew across and it flew across towards me and disappeared into into the mist you know, and he's describing a, a sequence of events that he says took five minutes and and Alex Dietrich says something completely different so we don't have consistent eyewitness testimony of the event. I don't know the details of him claiming that it was mirroring his plane's movement, but just just now, just hearing it, I think about the first thing that comes to mind is if it was a you know, a visual kind of aberration, if it was, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if he was seeing a reflection or something like that uh, it, w it, yeah. would, it would appear to kind of move uh, in tandem one way or the other with how he would be moving, right? That would be the first thing I think right. of. You see a reflection, you move a little bit to the right, so it moves a little bit to the left. You move a little bit to the left, so it moves a little bit to the right. That that just came to mind just now. No, I think that's, that's, uh, that's a good observation, and, and it's kind of similar in a way to what I think it actually was, uh, which I think what happened was he misjudged how big it was. Now, when in the, the excerpt you read there, it said... It was the size of his plane, right. yeah, it was a, a, an F-18 Hornet, it's 40 feet long. So he thought it was 40 feet long. But what, is, what was he basing that on? He had no frame of reference. He sees something uh, that looks like a featureless white tic-tac. Uh, it's got no features on it. At this point, he doesn't even see, like, supposedly there's little feet underneath it. But he, he didn't, I don't think he saw those. Uh, first hand but yeah, so he sees this featureless thing looks like a propane tank or a tic-tac he doesn't know how big it is and so he doesn't know how far away it is so i think what happened was yeah, i'm you know, speculating here but i think what happened was that he he's very used to seeing other planes that are the same size as his plane because he flies around in formation with them and he does exercises where it's like red team blue team where you're the you play you know mock fighting these other planes. So it's very used to seeing a plane and he says, oh, well, that's 40 feet away. So I know mentally roughly how far away it is. So he sees something that he's never seen before. doesn't know what it is. doesn't know how big it is. And his brain tells him, oh, well, that's going to be about the same size as, as a plane, just because that's the type of thing he's used to seeing. So he thinks it's 40 feet long. But what if it wasn't 40 feet long? What if it was just 20 feet long? Say exactly half the size. Of, of what he was perceiving and say it wasn't actually moving wasn't actually flying around it was just floating there it was like some kind of balloon or something like a you know a balloon that's right being raised from a submarine with a radio mast or something like that uh 
if he thought it was 40 feet long and it was 20 feet long, then when he flew past it, it would look like it was flying past him in the other direction. Uh, if you th if you think of it as being, say, in the middle of a circle and he's flying around it, he thinks it's twice as big as it actually is. So he's, 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 you've got a one-mile circle, one-mile radius circle, so it's two miles across. He thinks it's two miles away and it's 40 feet long, but it's actually one mile away and it's 20 feet long. Right. He's flying around it in a circle, but it looks like it's mirroring his movements. Right. It looks like it's on the other side of the circle flying around uh, right. towards him. When he goes down, it's going to look like it comes up. Uh, when he flies towards it, it's going to look like it flies towards him and then accelerates very rapidly. And the bigger his misperception of the size is going to make the corresponding moves look that much more, yeah. uh, you know, pronounced, right? It's the difference between yeah. holding... Yeah, definitely. You, it's this is like when you see the people taking their picture on the leaning tower of Pisa and they're standing in the foreground and the Pisa's all the way in the background and they're kind of trying to lean on the leaning tower you know it's the difference between holding an actual tic tac right in front of your face you know and seeing that white mm -hmm. propane tank I don't know a hundred yards away and you can you can move both to get to a point where the actual smaller object looks of the same size of the object that's a hundred yards away, except the one that's a hundred yards away is actually much yeah. larger, you know? And when you move the smaller item closer to you past you at maybe one mile an hour, it comes in and out of the frame so quickly that it looks like it's going a trillion miles an hour and vice versa. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's this whole thing about, you know, your brain is trying to fit things into a framework that it's used to. There's there's a famous illusion called the uh, the Ames room, uh, which is this this room where if you look at it from from one position, it looks like a normal room, but it's actually a distorted room. Uh, so somebody stands in one corner of the room, they look like they're they're very short, and then they walk towards the other corner of the room, they look like they grow in size. Because your your brain is thinking that they're staying at a constant distance, but they're actually getting closer to you. But because the visual cues around uh, uh, this room that's kind of distorted to make it look like it's it's uh, all the same size when it actually isn't, uh, your brain just you know it, it it just automatically has this illusion. And this is something that if you you kind of snap into a way of perceiving things, if you think something is 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 twenty feet away when it's actually forty feet away then your your brain will be acting as if it is 40 feet away and all the movements are going to get mapped onto that perception. And I think that's what happened uh, with, with Fravor. You ever be sitting at a stoplight in traffic and you're sitting there with your foot on the brake and unbeknownst to you, the light has turned green and the person next to you starts moving forward and you think, yeah. you, and you think your car is going in reverse? Has that ever yeah. happened? No, and, it's, uh, yeah. It's the same type uh, of effect, right? With trains as well, if you and if you don't if you do much train travel, but in back in the UK, like you go on trains quite a lot, and you, you get this weird illusion of you're taking it off from the station, and then all of a sudden you realise it was a train next to you that was moving, and you weren't <laughs> moving at all, and it goes by, and you stop, and you see the countryside behind it, and it's and, and you're not moving, but you know your brain once it gets into a certain frame of reference, a certain frame of where things are and where they're moving it's kind of hard to snap out of it and the thing about 
you know, UFOs and pilots seeing UFOs is that they're largely seeing objects that are featureless and novel. You know, things like, say, balloons or perhaps, you know, alien spaceships. But they're seeing things that they've not seen before. So they don't know how big they are. If you see, if you look at your plane and you see a Cessna, you know how big it is, and you know, you, so you can figure out how far away it is. But if you don't know how big something is, you could be seeing a, a balloon that's uh, forty feet away from you, and you think it's a giant orb that's a mile away from you that's moving really fast. So it's very easy to 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 make mistakes. And yet, you know, the interesting thing about Fravor and on his interview with the Lex Fridman, Lex Fridman asked him like how did how did you know how far away this thing was and braver said well yeah it's just like know. 20 years of uh yep. he basically said like yeah he just did it he just yeah you know, and, but, but then me- meanwhile almost- on on the rogan uh interview he's asked at, at one point he's talking about descending in mm-hmm. the uh in the plane and he said we were coming in for a nice slow descent and the reason that we do that is because the ocean looks the same whether you're at 10,000 feet yep. or 50,000 <laughs> feet so he's saying right there you know depth perception is fucky when you're flying through the air yet when Friedman yeah. asked him how did you know it was 40 feet or whatever he's like wow well, I just know you know just, just fucking eyeball yeah and, and then he goes on to uh, talk in, in Friedman about how you should not trust your eyes. I mean, he literally starts talking about this. He says, you know, we're taught not to trust our senses. We are taught to trust the instruments. You know, literally, that's what he said. Uh, just after he said that, oh, you know, I just, just knew how big it was. So it's this weird, you know, I'd love to talk to him about it. Well, <laughs> that would be, that would be a him, different but... story if we could triangulate his visual with what came mm-hmm. up on the radar screen. Right. If, yeah. if but if you can't, if you can't, you can't. And that's a, that's another bizarre thing. Like they talk about this thing called merge plot, where things get so close together that they can't distinguish them. But then Fravor describes this this kind of uh, dogfight where he's flying around like a a, a circle that's like a, a half a mile or a mile across, and supposedly they're being tracked by this spy one radar, which can pick out a baseball sized object like 50 miles away and but somehow they couldn't distinguish between his plane and this object it's it's you know there's lots of things about the story that don't really make sense yet there's so much certainty i think that that this is what it's been peddled as I, yes. I guess just because of his his pedigree. I mean, I remember when I first watched the interview for the first time when it first came out, you know, and first off, I didn't know anything about um, uh, Corbell. Maybe I did. Maybe it was after the Lazar one, whatever. But I didn't know enough to automatically, like, put my skeptical headphones on just because he was in the room, you know. And, hey. I got no beef with him. From what I hear, he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. That's a, you know, I have immense respect <laughs> for that. But other than that, you know, I, I don't, he's, like I said on the last podcast, Corbell seems to have never met an unsubstantiated theory that he doesn't love. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so he rolls this guy out there and, and Corbell is with him. And the first time I watched it, I remember thinking like, wow, just the way he speaks. I mean, I think he 
at least to some degree, if not totally, believes what he's saying. Um, because he, you know, he doesn't present the story as though he's trying to be deceptive. And certainly yeah. his his knowledge of aerospace and um, being a pilot really come through, especially in the Friedman interview, because, you know, they really they only talk about the UAP for like an hour. And, and the rest of it is talking about aerospace and, and flight and the history of flight. And, you know, uh, and he really knows his shit. I mean, you know, 20 years as a pilot in the Navy. I mean, you, you have to. Um, but it gets mucked up with this story, you know, and this yeah. story I think is being taken as gospel when, you know, listen, when I first saw your videos, uh, performing the analysis on the videos, um, that were put out there a couple of years ago, um, you know, you seem to lay it out as simply as you, as you possibly can for what are some, you know, relatively complex, um, arguments in terms of, you know, depth perception and things like that, uh, you know, that, hey, these videos don't really show anything at all, but I could see how to the outside observer that somebody that doesn't have any expertise can say, wow, this guy knows his shit, and these videos, look at them. There's something there, you know, like... Yeah. Yeah, no, and uh, Fravor, I think, is... is he pushes the videos as well. He, he says that they're actually showing certain things, which I'm, you know, 99% certain that they are, are not. Uh, but he again, isn't really doing any analysis of the videos. He's just, he's just kind of giving his seat of the pants opinion of what they show. And very few people have really done an in-depth analysis uh, of what's shown on the videos and people who have done them have done, you know, variety of degrees of, of quality. Yeah, I've, I've been. <laughs> I'm still looking at them. I, I've I've started to write a new tool, um, like uh, uh, basically a video analysis and situation recreation software, and I'm using these three videos and some some other videos for UFOs uh, as as basically the basic test cases of that. So I'm, I'm recreating things like frame by frame uh, with the exact angles and uh, all the proper physics and everything. Uh, and it's been quite revelatory because it, it turns out that there are very simple paths, you know, things that I, I've assumed from the start. You know, I said, oh, this is probably just a plane flying away to the left uh, with the, in the FLIR 1 video, you know, the one from the Nimitz. And I've, I've been plugging the numbers into my new tool recently. And, yeah, that it, it seems to work. It seems to show you know, exactly what I kind of hypothesized uh, several years ago. And you can actually get a plane to fit pretty much everything that's that's, that's going on in that particular scenario. Uh, but it, people of the people who are presenting these these videos as evidence really haven't done any good analysis of them. Yeah, well, why do analysis when you know <laughs> somebody else can do the analysis yeah. for you, and you can just assume that you know this is we encounter this in the financial world all the time. You know, if the investment bank says it's true, it must be true. What possible motivation could they have for deceiving you? You know, that's, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, what what possible motivation you know could there be for peddling these as something that they're not? I mean, do you think Fravor? Well, do you think he knows? I, I don't know. I mean, that, when you said that, it reminded me of the whole Theranos uh, thing. 
uh, where we, you know, a lot of people got fooled into believing that uh, was it Elizabeth Holmes like had invented this this machine that could test blood using very very small drops of blood, and billions of dollars got invested in it, uh, but really no one had done the due diligence to check it out because they all kind of preferred that it be true, and I think there's a degree of that going on in the UFO world. People prefer that these videos be. Uh, great evidence of something and yeah i don't know if it's that they don't want to do the analysis but they don't they don't seem super keen on really getting into the details and, and doing any like meaningful analysis uh the, there's one video the the go fast video which supposedly shows something that's that's low and fast you know moving at two-thirds of the speed of sound close to the water but you do the very simple math on that, and it, it, it looks like it's actually just moving at wind speed, and it's probably just a balloon. But people kind of studiously ignore these, these analyses, and they just say, well, uh, experts, unnamed experts, seem to have said that it's a UFO, and that's good enough for me. Because that's what they want. They want it to be a ufo yeah, they're, they're believers in the you know the et hypothesis and so they 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 want evidence and an analysis is just an inconvenience that gets in the way of this this evidence that they think is true because they think somebody has vouched for it in the bowels of the pentagon which they probably haven't well, that's a, that's a good kind of segue into something else I wanted to ask you, um, which I'm going to table for one second because I, I had one more question. What do you think the best and worst piece of evidence that Fravor has in support of his, uh, you know, story is? So if you had to, if Mick West had to make the case mm -hmm. that these UFO, that these were legitimately UFOs, right? Say you're on the yeah. other side of the coin. What would be the strongest piece of evidence that you think that they have? Ooh, it's, it's a tricky one. I mean, I think the the best piece of evidence is that multiple people uh, saw something. Right. Uh, Fravor's co-pilot, uh, Jim Slay, I think his name was, his briefly appeared. Yeah, his WISO, uh, WSO, Weapons Systems Operator. He was the backseat guy, and and he saw something. And backs up basically that you know they saw a, a tic tac, but he's he's given almost no information out there. He he appeared briefly on on Fox News, and the Fox News was a bit silly in the way they presented the story, and he became disillusioned with the media and hasn't talked. And there's another pilot, like a senior uh, Wizzo, who was in the backseat of Alex Dietrich's plane, and he presumably saw something, but he's he's not talked about it. And there's the, the you know there's there's people on the deck who saw things. So there's a whole bunch of different witnesses, and I think that is the strongest element of the most compelling piece of evidence in this case. Um, yeah, the worst piece of evidence. I, I mean, I guess it is it's Fravor's insistence on his seat of the pants assessment of what he saw. Yeah. Rather than any kind of qualitative like analysis, uh, mathematics or anything like that, or or instruments, you know, just relying on like, well, I know how big it was because I can tell. Yeah, you know, that is perhaps the weakest thing there. 
Yeah, you mentioned, um, you know, confirmation from within the Pentagon. And I, I listened to an interview that you did. I forget what it was called. Some other podcast, Russ and something or other. But, you know, th there's these other people that have kind of come forth as uh, supplemental kind of offshoots of this story. This guy, Christopher Mellon, uh, who mm -hmm. also did a podcast on Rogan. And uh, the other guy is uh, Luis El Elizondo. Is his name? Yeah, yeah. Well, these these aren't supplemental offsuits. These are these are fundamental key players in the whole uh, the whole where, drama. Where do they fit in? Well, uh, Mellon and Elizondo are the people who are actually responsible for leaking the videos. So the gimbal video and the GoFast video, and to a certain extent the the Fleur One video were got out of the Pentagon by Mellon and Elizondo. Mellon is a former kind of government official. Uh, he was like the deputy assistant uh, secretary of defense, deputy to the, to the assistant secretary of defense or something like that. Um, and you know, he's part of the, the Mellon family, so fairly well off, uh, fairly well connected. Elizondo is someone who worked in the Pentagon, I believe, in the office of the Director of National Intelligence. I could be could be wrong, something like that, though, some kind of intelligence office. And he supposedly was running this this ORSAP program, well, this, this ATIP program, which is this program that came out of ORSAP, which is this kind of um, government program that was started by Harry Reid, who was a big UFO fan, to study UFOs. It was kind of a secret program, and they did kind of disguised it as a program to study advanced aerospace technology. And Elizondo uh, ostensibly was in charge of that. And uh, there's some dispute to, to exactly what his involvement was. But you know, these these are the guys who are basically the, the face of ufology right now. Uh, Mellon, I think, is a very important player. He's very big in terms of, you know, he's the guy who got the first legislation uh, passed. He, he lobbied basically uh, Marco Rubio to get the, I think, I can't remember what it was exactly, the first one that was passed, but uh, uh, the, the, the reason we got a UAP report is because of Chris Mellon, and probably the reason we got this Gillibrand amendment, this, this new basically office that's supposed to study UFOs, is because of Chris Mellon. And he's the person who kind of acted as like liaison with the New York Times. The New York Times could do their, their story. You know, him and, and Lou Elizondo. You know, he's, he's very much a significant part of why we are even talking about it today. Uh, so they're certainly like not like, you know, <laughs> sideshows. If anything, like um, David Fravor is the sideshow. Yeah, Christopher Mellon yeah. served as Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence for Presidents yeah. Bill Clinton yeah. and George W. Bush, and also on the staff of the Senate Intelligence Committee. He told mm -hmm. 60 Minutes that he believes the object that Fravor and Dietrichs witnessed demonstrated advanced technological capabilities, which of course is very different from being an alien spacecraft. Mellon says yeah. that the UAP appeared to have an unlimited loiter time and exceptional acceleration. Um, and then it says a quote from uh, Mellon, what the Pentagon is acknowledging is that there are indeed aircraft that are violating restricted airspace. This has been happening and continues to happen. And we don't know where they're from and we don't understand the technology. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a complicated set of things there, uh, and there's a lot of assumptions I think on on his part. Uh, like he's he's kind of assuming that it's demonstrated that these things are real, that right. in in the sense that they they are some kind of advanced technology. And if you read, like he has a he has a website, a blog. Uh, he thinks that aliens are the best hypothesis hypothesis to explain right. these things. So he's solidly in the you know these are aliens camp, and Elizondo likewise. Yeah, you know, perhaps they don't like to talk about it, but yeah, you know, they they say quite overtly we don't think this is technology that is human, which only leaves you know aliens or well, transdimensional could be, could be time alien, travelers or something. Alien like that. technology that humans have cultivated. You know, there's always uh, there's always sure, the thesis yes, that, that hey, the still... shit, shit crashed in Roswell, and we've been back engineering it for yeah. you know eighty years, and now we're finally getting to uh you know a point and to your point before about you know it would be a thousand g's in either direction i forget what the explanation was but the people that advocate it's for this space warp yeah the people that advocate for the uh theory that this is alien technology that has been adapted by humans also have a scientific uh sounding explanation for how to avoid those g forces inside of the uh craft i can't remember what the hell it was yeah, it's all kind of well. Yeah, you you make a bubble in space time. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's basically hand waving. It's it's kind of magic. It's like saying, oh, how do we go faster than the speed of light? Oh, well, we use a warp drive, just like in Star Trek. Right. And yeah, it's kind of theoretically possible uh, to to do that, but we don't know how, and there's no practical path from you know, here to, to there. But the assumption is that oh, there's an alien race that's uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years ahead of us in terms of technology. And you know, we only learned to fly like you know, 120 years ago. Uh, so uh, aliens that are tens of thousands of years ahead of us will be able to go faster than the speed of sound and the speed of light. And they, they will be able to uh, you know, withstand these accelerations by warping space and time. But you know, these are just assumptions. We don't actually know if it's physically possible to do the things that, that people are describing. On an aside, do you think that there probably are alien races in the universe or no? Uh, I think probably. I don't know how likely it is that there's one in this galaxy, uh, but there's lots of galaxies. And why, so I think there's why a... would you say not in this galaxy? Well, we don't have uh, any evidence of them yeah you know, there's the, the the whole fermi paradox thing of where is everybody right uh, if an alien race has had arisen at some point within the galaxy then uh it's a relatively technologically straightforward process to colonize the entire galaxy with machines so if that hasn't happened yet if the there the, the, there's no signs of life anywhere in the galaxy yeah you know, perhaps we're just not able to look in enough depth but you know we haven't really seen anything there's no you know dyson spheres or stars being being dimmed in a way that's inexplicable um then yeah it, it it kind of looks like an empty galaxy now the other galaxies are so far away that if there were sounds of intelligent life in those we probably wouldn't be able to tell right and and they're, they're thousands, you know, they're millions of light years away, some some billions of light years away anyway. So uh, if if we do detect signs of life, it, it's kind of irrelevant in terms of contact because you can't get there from here, and they can't get here from there. But within a galaxy, 
you can actually you know human technology could quite conceivably if we continue in the trajectory we're doing we could colonize the galaxy at sublight speeds but we could still colonize the galaxy and it doesn't look like anybody's colonized the galaxy does it ever does it ever do you ever tackle the question of why we're here and you know where we came from <laughs> and where we're going uh no i don't because i think it's kind of an unanswerable question unanswerable uh, yeah right. yeah i don't think i don't think you can actually determine that unless someone comes forward to explain it for us yeah we we've essentially come from nothing or we came from something and but you know it's yeah perhaps we're living in a simulation in which case we're we're here because someone decided to create a simulation it's right. a pretty banal thing or you know perhaps there's more to the universe than appears and there's some kind of i don't know cosmic substrate that you can access by taking dmt uh or perhaps that's just a big illusion uh i i think that the universe probably is as it appears to be in that it's you know it's a, a mechanistic universe things happen and uh uh, the human brain is essentially just a computer, and what we we perceive as consciousness is 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 just a function of of that computer operating. I think that's probably what's going on. I don't know why the universe exists, though. Uh, but I I feel like yeah, individually, we have to make our own reasons for existing. Yeah, or not in yeah. your case, you know. Yeah, just, <laughs> just you know, live with the time that you have, right? Well, yeah, but that that is a reason. Uh, I don't think you we need to have like some kind of creator purpose uh, to justify doing what we do. You know, I do all kinds of uh, things with my life that you know, I just because I enjoy doing them, right. and uh, I I I like the idea of the propagation of the human species and the propagation of ideas and the next generation. And so uh, I, I think I, I do things that I think are better for friends and family and for humanity, as well as having fun. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I don't feel the need for you know a god or a uh, some kind of technological explanation of motivations or anything like that. You just go out and enjoy your life. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you on that. I think that. You know, it's one of those things where the longer you try to examine it, the the worse it gets. You know, and yeah. I, I've taken some refuge in. Uh, so I read like a lot of uh, Buddhist stuff, just because sure. a, a lot of it is, you know, not thinking about it. A lot of it is encouragement to just breathe and to just you know accept everything as it is. And I think mm -hmm. you know, it, it's it stands at odds with me because I'm an analytical person and. I like having answers and I like seeking answers to things that we don't have answers for. But also I think, you know, I've started to recognize over the last couple of years the you know, the brain damage you can kind of save yourself and the quality of life yeah. that you can kind of get from accepting that there's going to be things that we just aren't going to be able to figure out. Yeah, I mean it's like what we were talking about right at the start, uh, that you know, people get on with their lives even though they're they they have these strange beliefs. Uh yeah, we can do that with our knowledge of the world as it is. We don't need to worry about every single thing uh, constantly. 
you can just accept it and acceptance is uh yeah there's the old i think it's rudyard kipling like you know um what's it give me the uh oh the the wisdom to know the things i cannot change yeah uh oh it's, i can't remember what, what, what is it exactly it's uh you know the yeah, the, the things you can change the, the things you can't the, change the and then, to change the things you can yes you know the uh the wisdom to uh, accept the things you can and the wisdom to know the difference or yeah, yeah something like this we're obviously missing a, an adjective in there somewhere but but yeah you get the get the point like that's that's kind of like the key to successful life in a way is is do things where you can make a difference yeah which might not be like world world shattering things or earth changing things or, or you know even super significant things but just making a difference in in your life or in someone else's life, uh, if that's you know what you can do, then then go ahead and do it and in, enjoy that, and don't worry about uh, the other stuff. Yeah, and I think that's uh, I think that's a very humble way to look at things, and I think uh, you know I think that does good in kind of wrapping up. You know, is there anything about Fravor that we didn't touch on that you want to touch on? Because this is the this is the one to do it on if there if there is. Well, <laughs> there's one fun fact about Fravor uh, that not a lot of people know uh, that you, you might know because you've you've seen him on Joe Rogan. But he he faked a UFO encounter. Oh really? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. Now I don't think this means that he faked this one. It, but it's no, it may not. But this, it's interesting fun thing. <laughs> yeah, he describes, it, and it's not just a simple faking of a UFO encounter. It's actually a really significant one. Uh, he, he, they, they did flight training, I believe, in Arizona, and he said at the time they were allowed to fly uh, low altitude without lights. So what he would do? And oh he yeah, it as, he as faked it as if, he, as if he was a fake uh, UFO. Yep. Yeah, he pretended to be a UFO. So he's in his FA eighteen, uh, zipping along uh, the desert floor, and he spots like a, a campfire. You know, someone's camping out in the middle of the desert, you know, in the middle of nowhere, miles from from town, and so he flies towards it, and he cuts the engines down to down to idle so the plane is is practically silent and he just glides towards this 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 fire this campfire and just as he gets towards it he turns on all the lights and puts the plane into full afterburner and goes whoosh, roars past them overhead like you know blowing stuff everywhere and these bright lights and this this huge ball of fire coming out of the back of the thing and uh, instant ufo story and he described doing this, yeah. and I actually went and I looked up uh, in one of the UFO databases uh, reports from that area, and I found one that actually basically described what he said he did. You know, we were around a campfire. We, you know, we suddenly saw this this very loud thing roar overhead, uh, and with with lights and uh, and fire. And so he actually is responsible for at least one UFO report that was taken very seriously at the time. Yeah, but I don't and, think that means and, he made it up. No, the, the no, but I, I think in the way that he described that on the Rogan podcast, essentially he, you know, he made it so that his plane appeared to be a UFO to people, yeah. right? The way that yeah. he described it, you know, he didn't seem remorseful for doing it. He, no, he, know, he, he thought it was a lot a, of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was kind of cheeky about it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is that. So, go ahead. Yeah, it, no, it's just it's it's something that 
the people who do know about it, they don't like to talk about it because they, they think it reflects badly upon him. But yeah, it's something he actually did, and it's it's something you've got to throw into the equation if you're if you're doing an honest examination of the entire topic. Right, especially because his credibility as uh, yeah. you know a naval pilot is really what drives you know. Uh, all, yeah. all, you know, basically, you know, that's the content of his character for for all intents and purposes. When you when he's interviewed, when you look him up online, when you listen to his story, everything comes back to the fact that, you know, he's this distinguished Navy pilot for 20 years. But, yeah, I mean, he he admitted that on a podcast in front of 13 million people. So it should kind of be thrown into the just into the context, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That he can also yeah, be. it's funny, and he's he's been in the same room as Bob Lazar as well. So, <laughs> has that. he? Where 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 was he uh, in the same room as him? That, there's a photograph floating around. I think it was the they were at a UFO conference. It was him and Bob Lazar, uh, Jeremy Corbell, and some other guy. Right. Uh, some of the you know, UFO personality, and I, th I think they're all just in a, a motel room at a, a UFO conference. But yeah, it's it's this like weird kind of ecosystem that's out there. Like, yes. The U ufology isn't isn't like scientists studying UFOs. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a bit of that, but most of ufology is people doing podcasts and going to UFO conferences and and making uh, pro UFO documentaries. And I could see and... how I could see how very easily making a report of let's just say we were those people sitting around the campfire right and mick west and mm -hmm. chris irons were out camping one night and we saw this thing and we went to go make a report i can very easily draw a straight line from from that from us believing that we witnessed something that was a legitimate ufo when it wasn't to us being heralded and held up yes. and showered with praise and adoration by the UFO community in a way that would make us feel like, hey, maybe we should kind of keep fucking telling the story, you know, yep, regardless exactly. of what the facts exactly. maybe are. Yeah, and it's it's a problem, I think, that uh, people who have some kind of encounter uh, get lauded by the UFO community and become celebrities. And that it means essentially that they, they can't have a, a genuine examination of what they saw because they, they don't want to... Uh, go against this narrative that has become solidified by them like you're know, giving a talk at a conference or whatever so they, right. they, they 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 become fixed and in some cases i think when you when you tell a story it's the old thing about you know the fisherman and you know, it was this big then it was this big then this big and your hands getting further and further apart uh stories grow in the telling yeah maybe that's yes, why craver's story is five minutes long because he's been telling it uh, for for fifteen years, whereas Dietrich only started telling her story like like a year ago, and right. so she started out with with ten seconds. And here's that photo. It was on Corbell's Twitter. It's Fravor right. and Corbell and and Bob Lazar. And interestingly, I don't know if we talked about it on the uh, on the Lazar podcast that we did. We may have, but you know, Mellon says in his interview with Joe Rogan that he he knew of Lazar from. S4, but he was like the guy that checked for radiation on people's badges or something, you know, that he wasn't actually like, right. you know, he wasn't a service person or a technician for Alien Craft, which I thought was an interesting little addition to that interview. 
Yeah, Mellon's, uh, I don't know, reasonably cautious. He, he backs away from things rapidly. I think there was there was a thing a while back, uh, there was a video of a UFO someone put out there. It's like the DHS video of uh, an A-10 being uh, stalked by a UFO. And Mellon like, said, this, this, this looks like it's amazing stuff. And he, he tweeted it out. Uh, but the day before, I, I did an analysis of the video and I shown that it looked like it was actually a bird because you could stabilize the video and then you can see the flight path of this UFO and you can kind of see the wings flapping and it goes foop, 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 because you can see it flying along and it's just kind of this parallax effect with, uh, with the A-10 behind it. And someone says, are you sure, Chris? Because Mick West did this analysis yesterday. And then Mellon just deleted his tweet because uh, <laughs> he saw the writing on the wall for that particular video. So he was kind of quick to embrace it, but uh, he was also quick to accept that uh, it wasn't wasn't real. Whereas other people, they double down, like Jeremy Corbell. He has this one video of a green triangle, which he presents as being a, a pyramid UFO, as the best and the best UFO video of all time, he described it as, and I think probably still does. But it, it's it's just it's bulky. It's it's this it's an out of focus light with a triangular uh, aperture in the camera, causing this probably a plane. You can see the light flashing uh, to appear triangular. And there it is. We I'm, know it's I'm watching that. it right now. Uh, Global News put it up. Yeah. And it looks okay. So you're zooming in through a night vision lens yeah with a camera yeah, so, so there's your, there's your first yes, with another problem. camera <laughs> right exactly yeah. so so you're 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 magnifying this through through two lenses you're zooming mm -hmm. in through a lens so you're magnifying this like a million billion times right and yeah, yeah it looks like a little fucking trivial pursuit triangle kind of floating through the air but and it's flashing it's flashing like a plane it is flashing flashes. yeah it's pulsating the lights are pulsating the name of this article if people want to watch it is called leaked footage of pyramid-shaped UFO is real. Pentagon says, um, and that is in the <laughs> global news. And of course, it's real. I mean, it, they're saying the footage is yeah. real, not the UFO is real. You know, that's a headline that I'm sure nine out of ten people probably have trouble with just from reading. But yeah, oh yeah, newly leaked real, video. Real is a huge problem word in UFOs. Oh, what does real mean? <laughs> right, newly leaked video of flashing triangle-shaped object that flew over a U.S. warship. And again, you see, you see somebody holding a camera up to a aperture, not an aperture, a uh, like a um, up to a lens, essentially, like the. Kind yeah, of, the viewfinder. Like, yeah, the viewfinder of, of, uh, of a, an image intensifier, night right, vision. Right, of a night vision uh, intensifier. And then you are looking at that image, and then they zoom in, and that image shows like some distorted, far-off yeah. object that appears to be a, a triangular shape. But, you know, I mean, like anybody knows, that if you zoom in far enough, you know, these things take on all kinds of weird shapes and sizes and it is pulsating well, just like a plane would pulsate if you if you notice there's two other uh near the end of the video it kind of flies past kind of two other uh triangular shaped things yeah so they, they, they describe this video as showing three uh pyramid shaped craft but the other two aren't actually moving and the fun thing was that if, if you go back right to the start of the video you can see some some lights those lights are actually the planet jupiter and uh three or four other stars so we can figure out where they're looking in the sky from the start of the video and then you can trace the camera movement across the sky 
to those two other lights at the end. And it turns out those two other lights at the end are also stars. Right. <laughs> uh, there's the, the stars and they're triangular shaped and they're the same triangular shape as the moving craft, uh, which means that it's the camera that's making this triangular shape. It's the bokeh, it's the, the, the outer focus highlights. It means, uh, that, so... it means that Jeremy Corbell can take his phone to anywhere on earth and, you know, zoom into an object like fuck could you imagine just giving the guy like a professional zoom lens like a 200 times zoom lens i mean he just wander the earth being the aliens are everywhere you know <laughs> <laughs> anytime you take a fucking photo you know he zooms in on something and it kind of looks distorted and takes on another shape it's got to be aliens you know they're here they're yeah. at mount rushmore yeah. they're in canada they're in the bahamas i saw one at the bottom of my drink today you know like <laughs> Yeah, but I guess the point I was making with all of that was that people they cling on to their babies. Yeah, their their, their creations. Like he he released this and he he got on TV a lot uh, about it and he said it was the best thing ever. But pretty much everyone accepts that it's just an, a camera artifact and it's probably just right. a plane. But he's you know oh no no we we have people we have briefings uh, for people saying it was a pyramid. And, but no, you know, he, he doesn't. He has like a slide of someone uh, where it says like, you know, triangular shaped um, thing, apparent triangular shape or something like that. But yeah, people don't like to give up uh, things once they've, they've bought into them. Anybody can make up a story about anything. Me and you could go outside and stare at a couple of rocks on the ground, you know, and you could be like, yeah, it's a, it's a couple of rocks left over from the asphalt. And I could be like, well, this is an artifact <laughs> from a 15 million year old asteroid that proves that, you know, the, that the universe is 15 billion years old or whatever, you know? And it's just like, you know, look, it's yeah. a fucking blurry thing on it. You know, all these things are always, what was the other one with the lines that people were seeing? They were seeing the little, like, uh, I forget what they were called. The, the, they were like calling them like filament UFOs or something. You remember those things? Uh, the, like rods. Yeah, the rods. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were insects. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like fucking zoom out of the camera. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of the, the the and the new things keep coming up all the time. There's a, there's a new one which is the uh, object moving behind trees, uh, which is an artifact of modern image stabilization. Because ah. uh, when, when you you zoom in on something now with digital zoom, uh, then the digital image stabilization kicks in. Right. The camera, super powerful computers now in cameras, so uh, it, it analyzes the scene. And it stabilizes the majority, the, what, what it sees as being the fixed part of the scene. So it stabilizes right. the trees. So the trees look like they're fixed in place. And the guy's moving around, he's stepping around the trees. And you, you can't tell this, though, because the image stabilization is so good that you can't tell that he's moving. And so if there's something behind the tree, like a plane, it looks like it's moving backwards and forwards, nothing <laughs> down. It's really amazing illusion. But it's something that only happened over the last, like, you know, maybe three or four years when this this type of image stabilization started to get common so it was a new camera illusion yeah everyone got used to you know rods and um you know things like that but now now there's this new thing so you have to educate people about that i think the moral of the story remains you know this we we have more cameras than we've ever had in the history of humankind and mm -hmm. until you have the indisputable video evidence of an alien you know like fucking walking out of the ship and waving hello you know like mars attacks right like <laughs> you know until you have that indisputable moment where you know 
you see the fucking thing flying through the air and it's clearly an alien craft and it's clearly yeah. you know moving from point a to point b and whatever that we really don't have anything you know and 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 when you think about it again just going back to what i was saying before look we have six or seven billion people on earth all of them are immersed in interactions that they take place in all day every day you know similarly we have millions and millions of cameras now you know like anytime somebody does something like a, a waiter drops a drops a beer and then you know miraculously catches it before it hits the ground that video makes its way onto youtube because there's security yep. <laughs> cameras there right so anytime somebody does anything worthwhile or noteworthy it winds up on tiktok or it winds up on youtube so you know if bigfoot were out there somebody would have gotten a fucking photograph of it already and not yep. one of a bunch of fuzz walking around right and if there were really aliens somebody would have found some like proof there may be but we sure as hell don't have any extraordinary evidence that would support the extraordinary claims right yeah i think i think ufos is a puzzle and the answer to the puzzle is is actually in the name these are unidentified flying objects yeah these aren't you know alien spaceships they're not identified alien spaceships you know, maybe they are but all we have are things that are unidentified right we, we don't have anything that we've we've you know proven to be moving in a way that defies the laws of physics or that isn't a human craft and we don't have anything that we've proven even to be a you know, a an unusual craft that's flying around we just have unidentified things and we we have photographs that don't identify things we have video that doesn't identify things we have eyewitness accounts that don't identify things we've got all this stuff that's just kind of living in you know, a zone of unidentifiedness i call it the, the low information zone it's always too blurry <laughs> or too far away. That's a great uh, name. And that's, that's what UFOs are. You know, the answer to it, the what they are is in reality is probably lots of different things. But right now, you know, UFOs are real, but all they are is just things where we don't have enough information to figure out what we're looking at. Right. Blurry and, photos. And alien spacecraft on the long list of probabilities probably falls down toward the bottom in terms of yeah. Occam's razor and just likelihood. I think, I think so. Yeah. Sorry. Did I catch you there having a drink? Uh, no, I think, uh, I think my, my headset just cut out for a second. Oh. All right. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much for, uh, for coming on. It was awesome talking to you again. And, uh, maybe we can meet back up. We can both do our own research on, uh, on the laptop and on the lab leak and we can meet back up and just do an episode on that because I'd love to hash it out with you. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, Sounds all right. like a plan. Mick West, thanks so much, buddy. Talk to you soon. All right, thank you very much. All right, bye-bye. Right. That was the one, the only, Mr. Mick West of Metabunk, one of my favorite websites. Uh, check him out. I'll put all his links and information in the podcast description. I know a lot of you guys don't agree with a lot of he says a lot of what he says, but I think it's important having him on to hear his side of the perspective because I like to be kept in check. I don't know about the rest of you fools. Maybe you guys just like to believe every little thing you hear. You know, unfortunately, you know, I think probably there is a lot more fake bullshit out there than uh, or there's a lot of fake news being reported that Mick may not understand i don't think he grasps how big the issue has been in terms of people being lied to but i appreciate that he wants to even the laptop like obviously we disagree on that completely and you know i think the laptop is way more likely than not just to be his and everything on it is authentic 
but I appreciate the nuance he brings to the table and saying, hey, just so you know, there is the possibility that some of it's real and maybe some of it isn't. And that is still a possibility. So it's important to hear out uh, the other side of the case. And that's how you kind of whittle away at things and hopefully get to some kind of objective truth. All right, fools. It's been real. I will be back in a couple of days. But for now, I'm out of here. Peace.